Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Case File 8 of Microscope, the show that examines some of the world's biggest mysteries. There's been a lot of conspiracy theories over the years, but this time we're looking at one of the biggest, the claim that the Apollo moon landings were faked. I phoned up Greg Onion's BA, a painter and decorator who has spent his career designing and painting the sets of a huge number of films. While working on Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, Greg claims that he was recruited by Kubrick and the CIA into helping create a set for the fake moon landing. I spoke to Greg about how this audacious hoax was pulled off and what the CIA and other government agencies are doing to keep the public compliant. Greg also spoke about how he has tried to leave clues about what happened in the film, in the same way that Kubrick apparently left references to the moon landing in The Shining. But the recording starts with me asking Greg how much of his life he has spent painting. Yes, I'm 64 and I've been a painter and decorator since I was five. <laughs> oh, really? What was your first sort of painting and decorating uh, job? Well, um, I saw a spider crawl across the bathtub one morning. Do you know, do you know that pure joy of seeing a uh, creepy crawly? So I got out my uh, easel. I got out my canvas, my hog hair brush, sure. and I painted this lovely little spider. Painted and, a picture uh, of him or painted the spider itself? Uh, <laughs> could, could you say that again, please? Did you paint a picture of the spider or did you, did you actually, when you say you painted the spider, did mm. you paint on the spider or paint the spider? Well, uh, both. He ran across the canvas, I painted the spider and then showed my mother, who said, what a lovely picture of a spider. Right, so, so you painted the picture of the spider on the spider. I painted a beautiful uh, scale one-to-one yeah. picture of a spider uh, onto a spider. Yes, you're quite correct. Right, <laughs> gotcha. And uh, it's still hanging uh, in my mother's uh, bedroom above mm. her uh, single bed. It's a sad story, which I can't go into right now. Gotcha. And is the spider still on the canvas? Uh, no, because uh, when I showed my mother uh, 59 years ago now, it ran away. Right. Uh, and so what was left was uh, his shadow, if you like, like his silhouette, his outline. So uh, sure. God, God knows where that spider is right now, but he must be the most funkiest looking spider in the land. Or he died of lead poisoning, either one. Now, you've got in touch with the show because you were... Uh, you've been a painter and decorator, as you say, for 59 years. Uh, and yes. You, you, you claim you were involved in uh, designing and painting the set of the fake moon landings. Well, 
I'm going to be frank with you. I've been listening to your podcast. You might have been wondering who I am. <laughs> and um, this painting and decorating lark has left my lungs shot. I, I, don't, I don't have long, so I've decided to reveal all my secrets. And I helped uh, Stanley Kubrick paint the set for the moon landings in 1969. And had you worked with Kubrick before? Uh, I did, yes, on um, uh, 2001. And I was in charge of painting the craters. And he came over to me one afternoon and he said, that's a beautiful crater, Greg. And I, I looked down and, you know, it, it, it was beautiful. Sure. And uh, he just walked off. That, that, that was the measure of the man. That was and what I, Kubrick was like. Yeah, he was, he was a very nasty individual. Uh, sick. Um, I don't like to use uh, swear words, but he was fucked, this guy. He was tapped. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I was uh, I was painting the uh, space for 2001. Sure. And uh, I don't know if you've ever painted space before, but yeah. you know, bugger me, that's a big old canvas. <laughs> I got you, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it took me a while. But, uh, you know, he, he looked... I had a, paint, uh, a pot of paint, right, that was only about... Uh, well, picture a um, picture a mustard pot. Yeah, that's how much paint I used. Black for what, paint for space. For space. Yeah. Now Stan- Stanley came over and he said, uh, "I don't think you've got enough paint there, Greg." <laughs> gotcha. And I looked at him, and now there is a saying in this business: a little bit always goes a long way. Mm. He looked at me, and he said, "Say that again." I said, "Mr. Kubrick." I was always polite to him. Mr. Kubrick, a little goes a long way. A week later, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> Henry Kissinger rocks up. Henry Kissinger and Donald Rumsfeld were at my front door. Sure. Now, I lived in Surrey at the time, so yeah. as you can imagine, uh, I was quite surprised. And they, uh, they said, look, you've got the keys to uh, the studio, haven't you? I said, yes, for, I have. For what you were doing in 2001? Yes. And they went, okay, and then they just left. That was it. That was it. They just, they'd flown over, just asked you that, didn't get the keys? <laughs> they just wanted to know if I had the keys. Right. Anyway, I thought I was dreaming. You thought you were dreaming? <laughs> well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. So, um, anyway, yeah. So I did that, and, um, you know, in fact, I don't know if you've seen uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's a great film. And you did yes, The Craters and Space? No, he, he got rid of the craters. He said they looked shit on camera. <laughs> that was a horrible thing to say to me, actually. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he said they were great when he looked at them. Sure, but on camera but, they like looked... Like I said, the guy was tapped. The guy weren't right. So, anyway, uh, I, was, I was a bit sad about that. But one lunchtime, uh, 1969, I got a phone call from Stanley, and he said, do you still have the keys? So he was asking you for the keys as well? Yeah. Turns out I was the only one who had them. And it caused right. nightmares for the whole set. Really did. I said, I do, Stanley. He said, right, I'm outside. Get in the car. We get in the car. We drive to the uh, 2001 set. That, now, bear in mind, this film's already been filmed. So why the fuck is it... Why is it still up, I'm thinking? It was the lovely MGM Studios. And, um, you know, the moon... It's 237,000 miles away. Yeah. But not that, is that day. Is that true? Yeah. Is that, is that an actual fact? 
That is the fact. But let me tell you, on that day, it wasn't that far. <laughs> no way. Right. It was in Surrey. Yeah, we gotcha. And uh, he said, do you still have your little pot of magic paint? I said, Stanley, I do. I always carry it around in my pocket. He said, surely that's run out. I said, no, it hasn't, Stanley. He said, I want you to paint the space again. Gotcha. So they I said so- to him, surely, Stanley, you can use the old one. Because that took me a long time. Yeah. He said, no, space always changes. You've got to do it all again. <laughs> so I spent, uh, it was about, oh, well, six months, yeah, six months painting the uh, space. And yeah. um, did it feel substantially different from what you had painted on 2001? Um, no, it was exactly the same. Uh, jet black with little specks of, um, of you know, grey. White, right. yeah. Uh, at one point, I did sneeze, um, and Stanley did ask me what it was, and I was got a bit scared, so I just told him it was like, uh, you know, a, a planet had blown up, and, you know, we just... Basically, he thought it was so real. He thought he was actually looking at space, and he actually got scared. He said, what's going on there, John? And um, I said... Greg. <laughs> he said, what's going on there, Greg? Pardon me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I, uh, you know, I, I told you, the guy's mad. The guy's fucking insane, this guy. He does. He calls you what he wants. Anyway, um, a, a wonderful job. And I'll never forget the day they actually filmed the moon landing. I was stood there. Um, they cut out me standing there because he said that wouldn't have looked right. But, right, gotcha. Uh, you, were, you were actually on set. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was still up the ladder. Yeah. Right. Um... But I said to him, I said, Stanley, think about it. No one's been to space, so no one knows what the fuck's up there. Yeah. So I said, look, I'll paint myself green. Uh, green. <laughs> I can be a little alien. Yeah. Just going up a ladder, leaning against space. I said, there's poetry in that, Stanley. There's poetry in that. And what did he say to that? He got very angry with me on that day. Um, but I wish he'd got angry with me before I'd painted myself green. It was, um, uh, you know, I was walking around. I looked like a chump. I really did. And was there was there a lot of secrecy on set? How did, how did they keep it a secret for so long? Um, well, Buzz Aldrin, who doesn't exist, by the way, <laughs> was played by a CIA agent. Yep. And Neil Armstrong, who is a figment of your imagination was also played by a CIA agent. There was a, yep. ske- there was a skeleton crew. It was just the cameraman, Stanley, a dog trainer, and me. And that was it. That was it. What was the, what was the dog trainer for? There was a dog trainer, uh, and you're going to have to forgive me, there were six dogs as well. I do apologise. Right. Uh, my memory is uh, slowly rotting away because of the lead lining. Of the paint. Of the paint, and also of uh, a suit that I bought at Carnaby Street in 1963, which uh, I shouldn't wear, but it does give me a lovely figure. <laughs> you wear a lead. You wore a lead suit. <laughs> yeah. Does that? Does it rust? Uh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. I can't move a lot, really. Uh, my hands have been in the air uh, for nearly 50 years. I guess it makes it quite hard to be a painter decorator in that position. Well, that's why I only have this very small. Uh, pot of paint because I can't be going always in the brush and out the you know in the pot and out the pot I need to be able to go in the pot and use whatever's on the end of that brush for about uh, eight to ten months 
So you're, so you're on the set. Let me just sort of uh, paint the scene. You're on the set. It's just you, Kubrick, the cameraman, a couple of CIA agents playing Aldrin and Armstrong, a dog handler, and there's six dogs. And what, what role do the dogs provide? Are they, like, uh, security for the set? Moondust. They were painted silver. And uh, the idea was that at one point they'd run across and uh, they'd look like moon dust. Right. Now, I said we should maybe use mice because they, 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 they look more like little rocks. Yeah. But painted dogs uh, to look like dust and rocks. Uh, let me tell you, that was the biggest challenge of my career. Sure. Why was it so hard? Because they run around. They run around. Uh, they are also uh, love the smell of me. They love the smell of you? They did. And I, I can't tell you why. I mean, it's a long time ago now, but 1969, my aftershave, uh, it was the fashion of the time, uh, was a lovely mix of uh, bone marrow and um, peanut butter. So, right, gotcha. I'm sure you were a, fi- a figure of some fashion in the community with your, with your suit made of lead and your bone marrow <laughs> peanut butter perfume. <laughs> Sure, you were quite the catch. So oh, I did all dogs. the houses. I did all the houses. I did the Beatles. I did the Rolling Stones. I did all the houses. You painted. You painted the houses of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. I did. I did. Yeah. John Lennon made a lovely cup of tea. Um, three parts milk. Uh, he left the bag in, and um, he'd always let. I remember this about him actually. Um, He'd always leave a custard cream, but he'd say it was his. He'd give you the cup of tea and he'd say, don't eat the custard cream, that's mine. (laughs) (laughs) He was sick. He weren't right. But he, that's the kind of guy he was. Well documented, of course. But yes, so there were six dogs and they were running around like crazy. And, um, you know, they were sprayed silver. So when they ran sure. onto the set, you couldn't see where they were. Um, right, gotcha. <laughs> so you, so it's what, it's you and a dog handler trying to track down these dust well, dogs? What happened was you could kind of work out movement, but it looked like yeah. the set was like fucking moving, man. Excuse my French. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you were looking at the set going, right. It looks like it's made out of quicksand. It was, just, it was moving about, grooving. Gotcha. So uh, the CIA agents were like, well, how are we going to walk on that? We might step on a dog. Yeah. I'm dressed in green. I'm an alien. And I'm going... <laughs> and what was the dog handler doing at this point? Um, he was a nightmare, this guy. He was, uh, he was on drugs. He was on drugs. It's the 60s. It was the 60s. He was on drugs. Uh, we got a letter from Richard Nixon wishing us well. Uh, he threw that in the bin. Uh, <laughs> Stanley hated him because he had no control of the dogs. You know, at one point it was discussed. We had a secret meeting. A secret meeting? We, you're on your secret a... set. So it's, it's, it's the moon, you're there with Alden Armstrong, yeah, Kubrick, yeah, and a yeah. cameraman, and you go, right, we have a secret meeting without the dog handler. Yeah. What we did was, uh, look, we told the dog handler, look, will you, will, you, uh, will you go out and get us some uh, crisps? Yeah. You know, this guy's a... This guy was a twat, so he went, yeah, all right, but give me money first. Horrible. Anyway, I gave him a couple of shillings. Mm. Anyway, what we did, we thought, right, where can we hide? (laughs) So we all decided to paint ourselves uh, the same silver (laughs) as the moon. Right, and the dogs. As the dogs. So when he came back with the crisps, 
he walked into the studio and he couldn't see us. Sure. So he thought, oh, they must have got out or something. So he left the studio and then we all chatted on the moon about what we thought about this guy. Gotcha. It was later found out that he wasn't a dog handler at all. The dogs were wild, straight dogs that had walked into the studio at the same time he had walked in. <laughs> Six random dogs. Yeah, no one knew who's, who they were. Yeah. Um, and the dog handler, uh, he was actually a, uh, a policeman who had completely got off his tits the night before. He'd walked into the MGM studio by mistake. He was on a massive come down, woke up, and then we were all in there. And uh, he just pretended to, to be someone, and we presumed he, he just stole it out. Dogs. He stole it out. out, this guy. He was an absolute arsehole, but he stole it out, this guy. He was clever. In the end, I liked him, and he was best man at my wedding. <laughs> Obviously, it's the policeman's drugs that's meant that he's not able to remember the situation fully. He can't but- remember a thing. But how have the CIA sort of stopped you from talking about it, or stopped the cameraman from talking about it? Have you been put under pressure over the years to keep quiet? Well, it's funny you say that. Um, the cameraman was shot dead in 1973. Yeah. Where was he shot? He was shot um, outside the gates of MGM. Yeah. Uh, he had a placard saying, uh, this is where the moon landings were filmed. Right. And I have seen the footage. I, I told you, I'm telling you everything. I'm telling you everything. Right. I shot the cameraman. Under directions of Kubrick? Yes. I've got the letter to prove it. Stanley sent me a letter in 1973 saying, this guy's making too much noise. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm filming Barry Lyndon inside the MGM studios and I can hear him screaming about uh, the moon landings. I said, what do you want me to do, Stanley? He said, I want you to shoot him. So I drove down there. I got out my uh, rifle, loaded it with one bullet. I thought, if I'm lucky, I'm lucky. And if he's lucky, he's lucky. Uh, I missed. So uh, about two days later, I went back. It was his day off, so that was a problem. Anyway, I called him and said, um, look, are you going to go down to MGM? I think we should uh, blow the case. He said, yeah, I'm down there most days. I said, all right, what time are you going to be there tomorrow? He said, 11 a.m. I went down there, 11 a.m., and uh, I shot him in the knee, and uh, he fell over, and... um, Died. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com (laughs) 
Well, so what, why, why is it you've come forward with this news now? Well, there's three reasons. I'm dying. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I'd like to be able to uh, uh, afford to leave some money behind uh, to my trust. The uh, trust? Yes, I started a trust in the... The Greg Onions Trust. Yeah. The Greg Onions BA Trust, yes. What does it... Uh, what does the trust do? Um, where do you live, if I could ask? Bristol. Well, in Bristol, there will be at least 300 trees that, I hate to break it to you, are not trees. Right. They are loaded full of uh, dynamite, microphones and uh, parcels, which I am afraid I do not know what is inside them. And this is this is some CIA plot, is it? That um, various trees in all cities across the UK yes. and presumably the world are packed to the brim of dynamite and microphones and parcels. to the branch with dynamite, microphones yeah. and parcels. Parcels containing... I do not know, but they look very pretty. Now, every city in the UK has 300 trees. 300 exactly, irrespective of the size of the population? Yes. Right. So a village per capita might have a lot more dynamite and microphones than, say, yes, well, Liverpool. If you live in a small town, it's going yeah. to be a massacre. That's all I'll say. Right. <laughs> so this trust that I set up is yeah. for people to donate, and uh, basically you give me money, and I go tree by tree as I discover where they are. And yeah. there's a website where I uh, I, I put... You know where the trees are uh, sure. in the city. <laughs> where the bo- where the bomb and microphone trees are in each city, so people can avoid them on their in their day to day walks. Exactly. What do you-, you can do what you want with the information, but I'm saving lives. Saving lives. Does it concern you that you don't know what's in the parcels, or is it not a problem given that the other items are dynamite and microphones? <laughs> um, it, nothing scares me anymore, uh, Matthew. Um. I was scared. I, I was. A, I've, I've always been scared. But a, a tree full of dynamite. I'll be honest. That that's a lovely way to go. Actually, is it? Uh, if if I'm if I climb a tree tomorrow, and uh, all of a sudden I hear the ticking of a of a bomb, mm. I'll think. Well, you know what I'll think. Maybe I will walk on the moon. Who and who's arranged these trees? Is this the CIA? MI five. In association with CIA. In association. Yes. The CIA uh, wanted it to be a co-production uh, to split costs. And, 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 and to what end? In case the country's overrun or just to, to get rid of like d- dissidents? What's the what's the plan behind the, the dynamite? Yeah, it's to get rid of dissidents. Yeah. It's to get rid of dissidents. Yeah, gotcha. Can I ask you a question? Of course you can. What is dissidents? I don't know. I think I've just made that up. Is it it like uh, filth? Dissidents, meaning a person who opposes official policy, especially that of an authoritarian authoritarian state? What am I thinking of? Dissident. Dissident. Distant? Discharge. Yeah. Um, Have you spoken to Kubrick since uh, since you did the filming? Well, he died uh, during the filming of... uh, I believe it was uh, Eyes Wide Shut or AI. I can't quite remember now. But um, I did have a uh, 
I did have a cup of coffee with him. I went to his house in London. I told him that I'd enjoyed The Shining, that he was a master director. Sure. And then I also pitched a film to him. Oh, yeah, what was your film? It was set in space. Of course. You could do the background. Well, yes. And it was about, um, right, a flying tree, yeah, that lands on the moon. Right, and was it your way of sort of trying to get out about the CIA bomb trees? Well, he did ask me why would there be a tree on the moon. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, what he didn't know was that before he'd moved into the house that he lived in, I had gone down his road and every tree was packed to the branch of dynamite. And microphones. And microphones. Yeah, and parcels. And uh, he was pushing me to the front door at this point. Sure. He, he, he didn't like me being in his house when I started talking about this. But I said, Stanley, we need to raise... you know we need to let people know about this so why don't we make uh, it's it's a film about the moon and there's a tree on the moon and a couple of kids they fly up there they start playing on the moon they realise it's packed full of dynamite Mm. so they think what are we going to do so what they do is they start a fire at the bottom of the tree they go to the top of the tree and then uh, the tree is then like a rocket that flies to Mars. When they're at Mars, they are they then run around. And <laughs> they uh, they're by this point grown up to be uh, like adults. So there's a girl and a boy. They're both forty. They're on the moon. They need to stay warm. So they uh, they're on Mars. They're on, on Mars. Mars at this point. So they yeah. make love. They make love. Uh, they have a baby. Uh, the baby is uh, extraordinarily beautiful and they live they're very happy actually Um, then uh, well the dad sadly dies and then it's a film about a mother a single mother and a baby living on Mars Uh, the baby falls off Mars Uh, it's a very sad moment very sad the mother is then helpless and she thinks I've got to get back to Earth so she jumps, and uh, we leave it there. Maybe a sequel. We never know. And so, just to clarify, Kubrick rejected this screenplay outright. And if I can just sort of remind myself of the story, it's about children that fly a tree to the moon, set fire to the tree, fly to Mars, bang, have a baby. The baby falls off Mars. The mum jumps off Mars. Fate of black to be continued. To be continued. Very good. Yes, I might put that up. I might. Do you know what? I might add that. And what was the purpose of the film? Like in the same way that people claim that Shining has references to the moon landing, you wanted to create a film that had references to the bomb trees that the CIA and MI5 are, are planting around the country. Exactly. Exactly. The, the, the Shining was very interesting. You know, the little kid is wearing an Apollo Eleven jumper. And, of course, uh, what people don't know is that Jack Nicholson's part is very much based on uh, my early 20s. Oh, I see. You were an aspiring writer at the same time as being a decorator. And you went mad and tried to kill your family. Well, that was never proven. Sure. Now that more people are aware of these bomb trees, do you think there's going to be an, like an uprising against the state? Or do you think the state have got everyone pretty much on lockdown now? You've got to remember that these trees are keeping an eye on us. They're tracking our every word. And if they hear certain trigger words, they completely explode. 
Um, obviously, I don't want to put you in any danger, but could you give us a flavour of what those trigger words are if you've got the window shut? Well, uh, I can tell you what happened when they were first made. The words have changed over 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 the years. Oh, they change. Yes, they change with growing trends. Mm. Um, but when they were first put in, there were some mistakes made. For example, a tree outside of Sainsbury's just down the road from me, uh, the trigger words that it was built to hear and then explode you know, ex- explode uh, were sadly phrases like, um, is that trolley free? And yeah. uh, I'm just going in for milk. Right. Now, and what was, it, what was it supposed to listen out for? I've got a gun. Yeah. Nobody move. And if I just give this locker a shimmy, I can get it free. Gotcha. And on pouring here, hearing that, a tree would spontaneously detonate. Yeah. Now, when it did, so they obviously, after a tragic accident, uh, they changed it to, um, like I said, two phrases. If I give this lock a little shimmy, it will break free. It, then, the tree then did explode when a burglar was trying to get into Sainsbury's. Sure. But what that did was it just smashed the windows and allowed them to get in quite easily and gotcha. steal a lot of the stock. So actually, as a as a deterrent, uh, or I guess an aid to sort of try and help society, trees laced with dynamite, keying off certain phrases, isn't the benefit that the CIA and MI5 perhaps fought? Well, there was a year, and it was a very sad year for the economy, where burglars realised they could just whisper to the tree what they thought the tree was going to... <laughs> going Explode to on. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, there was a tree outside a Rolex shop, sure. and a couple of burglars... Uh, it took them about a week to realise uh, what they needed to say. Yeah. Uh, the tree Presumably, exploded and they took yeah, the, the watches. It was, it, was, it, was, it was sad. It was sad. Presumably if they're whispering to the tree, they're in, there's quite a degree of proximity there to the tree themselves. Uh, yes, but the, the tree only explodes outwards. It, it, it explodes uh, directionally. But they're built for the sole purpose of exploding upon hearing certain phrases, but they explode <laughs> away from that phrase. Well, well, this is a problem with them. I mean, I'm not saying they're perfect. <laughs> that's, that's the problem with I'm them. Not, yeah, okay. I'm not saying they're perfect. And going back to my original point, that's why I set up this trust in the year 2000 that I would like... The reason why I'm re- revealing all my secrets now to raise a bit of money, so people know that they can avoid these trees. Now, a lot of people have said to me, John, surely if you're telling Greg. people where the trees are, a lot of people have been saying to me, Greg, surely you're telling people where these trees are, so they'll know they can just whisper in them, uh, they can explode and cause havoc. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that is obviously something I've thought about, but you know what? Sometimes you've got to put your hands up and say, I'm too thick to uh, realise what to do about that now. <laughs> and then sort of finally um what do you what do you want your legacy to be you want to sort of just have, have told the world about this about the fake moon landing about these bomb trees you know i just g- genuinely if i'm going to be you know I'm, I'm a humble man i think I, I would like to be remembered as a fantastic painter a superb varnisher uh someone who could plaster his way out of any any trouble plaster his way out of trouble <laughs> yes. how would that how would that play out well you know you get into a bit of trouble, yeah, and you think to yourself, "How am I going to get out of this?" Yeah, I, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll plaster my way I'll out. I'll plaster my way out of this. Yeah, I mean that's just saying the same words but over a longer period of time. <laughs> just, just very quickly, and we can end on this. How would you, how would you use plaster to escape? 
Uh, well, I remember being on the, to put it mildly, the wrong side of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I thought, how do I get to the other side? Sure. Plaster bit of plaster. Yeah, got Leave it to dry, run across yeah. it, no questions asked. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I do want to ask some more questions of like, were you on the wrong side? What were you escaping for? What was over on the other side? Uh, well, um, I got caught with my trousers around my ankles. Yeah, metaphorically or literally? Metaphorically. I, yeah. um, I, uh, sorry, does that mean having trousers around my ankles? <laughs> because I did have trousers around my ankles. Um, right. So I got caught having an affair. Mm with a married man yeah I had my trousers around my ankles and um, his wife barged in into the into into the Grand Canyon Uh, they lived on a hut next to the Grand Canyon right his wife barged in said I've caught you with your trousers around your ankles yeah metaphorically and literally I jumped out the window shifted to the edge of the Grand Canyon yeah thought I'm in a lot of trouble here I made good my escape. Never saw the guy again. Mm. And, you know, that that's the life I've lived. And, you know, some will say it's crazy. Some will say I've talked a lot, bollocks. But as I said earlier, as with the paintbrush, the mustard jar, the hog hair, a little can go a long way, Matthew. Thank you. Well, that, that sounds like it means enough of a thing to, to end on. Uh, Greg Onions, BA, thank you very much for joining us. It's been uh, genuinely uh, an absolute joy. And to all your listeners, may I wish them love and I hope everyone is okay at this terrible time. Well, that's all we've got time for. This episode was researched by John Kearns, edited by Matt Ewins, and the theme music was by Nicky Green. At some point in the future, we might go back to recording these gigs in front of a live audience, so follow our Twitter account at MicroscopeFun for details on that. Next time, I'll be talking to a TV chef that has been accused of murder. But until then, remain vigilant and catch you next time on Microscope. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.